Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Welcome to River City Church. Glad you're here. Um, glad to be together. Um, I try to remember that this is such a privilege. We really take it for granted, right? Having um, a church family where we can come and be safe and worship. Not only physically safe, but spiritually safe. So I'm thankful for this space. I'm thankful for Smyrna. Um, thankful for you all. So we're going to open with a scripture. If you guys will stand. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, so whatever best way for you to receive this, if that's closing your eyes and listening, if it's following along on the screen, if you'll take a deep breath, just breathe out any tension or stress that you've carried in here today, worries about work or family, um, this is a time for you to just be. There's no past. There's no future right now. There's just now. There is the gift of the present. And so we are receiving right now the gift of the present. And Father, where are you Jesus, Spirit, where are you in this moment that we could see you clearly and receive? So Psalm 85, verse 8 through 13. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. 
Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Oh, Jesus, let your glory fill this place. Let your glory fill this land and this city. Let it start in our hearts and begin to overflow. That we would see your goodness, your true character, that your love and faithfulness and justice would be revealed, that you would become the ultimate goal of our lives. We want you lifted up this morning because as you are lifted up, our hearts cannot help but be drawn to your love and your mercy and your healing and your freedom. We pray that you would be lifted up in our families, in our homes, in this community, and in our country, and in this world. That we would be a people of love, and of mercy, and of peace, and of justice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, we do, we do lift your name up today. all the chaos, the discord. Lord, you reign supreme. And we lift your name up. We sing praises to your name. You have triumphed over the principalities, the powers of darkness. We find rest and peace in you. Lord, we lift your name up high. You bring life, you bring love, you are love, or we pray for reconciliation, we pray for peace, thank you Jesus. Alrighty, so real quick, we've been in the book of Mark, and we're going to travel all the way through it to the end. We're at midpoint, Mark chapter 8, and um, I'm just going to read you the passage really quickly. If you want to open your Bible to Mark 8, 22 through 38, give you a second to get there. I'm going to be reading to you from the um, ESV. I recommend it. It's, of course, the one that Jesus chose. I think we all know that. Um, You can follow along on the screen. Real quick, though. Previous passage, um, basically, Jesus was noticing that there were some disciples that were spiritually blind, including all of them. And they were in a boat after another feeding and didn't understand that Jesus was the manna, right? It's not, he's not the bread king. He is the bread of life. He's not taking us to the destination. He is the destination, And they were confused on this. They kept thinking, what about right now? What about right now? And he's saying, I I am the right now. I'm the right now. Connect yourself to me. And there was some confusion, and it heads into this passage. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. 
And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Real quick, is this the first time you've ever heard this passage? Raise your hand. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. And took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they, are, they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, okay, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just slow down. Slow your roll in your mind. Jesus does this and Peter's like, Jesus, come come me for one second. We're going to go over here for a bit. This is Jesus and Peter, right? Not Jesus taking Peter. Okay, come with me just for a second. I need to, we got to talk about something. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I'm just going to throw this out. If the father of all, creator of the universe, calls you Satan, that's one of those days you want to like mark down in your journal. Today's the day that Jesus called me Satan. <laughs> you probably want to dig into that one. Just might want to look into that one a little bit. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I wasn't going to share this, but I am. I'll never forget this moment about my wife, Sarah. Where's she at? She's not here. That's good. Good planning. We went on a cruise with some of our teens and a youth ministry I worked with. And they had this like open forum where you could like get up and sing on the cruise to like win something. And all these people were getting up and like they got up and they'd be like, one girl would be like, and don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? And that was like the tone. And Sarah gets up and she sings Amazing Grace in the middle of like a drunken, and I remember um, this one lady walked up to her and she looked at her and she said, listen, she quoted this scripture, said, you just need to know that anyone that will honor our father before man, he will honor. And that's always stuck with me. One, that my wife kind of threw a Jesus curveball on a cruise. <laughs> I think she even won a t-shirt. I think she might have won it. Um, and that, that stuck out, right? Like, that's important. Like, acknowledging this is what I am, right? This is what, who I am. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. So far in this book, we're halfway through. What we've seen so far is a lot of miracles, 
but they're about to stop for the most part till the end. So we've seen a lot of miracles. We've seen a lot of people misunderstand and misinterpret what he's trying to do. We've seen people try and over-honor the miracle part and forget the part that's deeper, that he is the miracle. And we've seen that an enemy has formed that is violently coming after him and really, really does not want him to succeed in the Pharisees and scribes and the religious teachers because they have in their minds what it would look like to be the nation that God has chosen. And Jesus is not a part of that. Jesus is not in that equation. We also have, in relation to this passage, a lot about sight. So again, two weeks ago I spoke to you about how the disciples were spiritually blind. Do you not see who I am? That's what he kept asking. Do you not see? Do you not perceive? Are you not understanding? You're spiritually blind. And then for the next three or four passages, it's going to be the same stuff. People are spiritually blind. I think this is interesting for me because for the past three months, I've had these awful migraines. And I literally, I had to get a CAT scan. Whenever something like small goes wrong, to me, it's something large is about to happen. Um, and I started to have these massive headaches that would start behind this eye and go back here and spread. And for like four hours, I'm done. So I got a CAT scan. Somebody recommend, one of you guys recommended I go get my eyes checked. When got my eyes checked, I found out that my right eye is 20-20. My left eye is, my left eye is not, and it's overcompensating like most left eyes do for my right eye. And so it's creating this amount of pressure that created headaches. So now, I look like a hipster. (laughs) Amen? Amen. And that's the moral of sight and Christianity in America. I actually feel really nervous about looking like I'm trying to be a hipster, so please don't tell me. And also, I've had seven comments today that look like Clark Kent. Seven. (laughs) Seven. So it's still me, right? I just thought it was interesting that I'm, I'm teaching on a passage about sight. And I'm literally turning 40 in two months and, for the first time in my life, need glasses. I don't think there's anything more than just I think it's interesting. (laughs) But I do want to play you guys a clip about what it is to see what you couldn't see, right? So if you guys want to cue this up. Does it affect the balloons? We got him. I got him. All right, dude. All right. I hope they work. It's really See my shirt? Purple? <laughs> Your grant shirt? Yellow? A lot of green out here, huh? 
Somebody said the golf course is so green. Do you think you're ever going to take them off that? I don't want to. You don't want to? <laughs> <laughs> you see here. Oh, so check out the SBA signal. His baseball equipment. Oh. <laughs> he never knows what color things are. You see the seams. <laughs> you see the different colors here, the green and the orange for the old canes? Yeah. Flag look different? Yeah. The red, white, and blue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Have you ever seen that before? I've seen like 11 times. I still cry every time. Anybody else cry? Just kidding. We'll do that. So, as we read this passage and as we talk about what I'm talking about today, really what's happening here is Jesus is asking the questions to people who cannot see spiritually. And I talked about it with our staff this week and recognized in my own life how spiritually blind I am. And I'm the pastor. And how much I need to be so connected to Jesus for me to be able to see. And then I have the thoughts of, do people really want to spiritually see? What does it look like to spiritually see? And so, I'm going to do a prayer with you and then we're going to jump in. First though, I don't know if you guys remember, back in the time of Jesus, there were songs that they sang that weren't the ones that we sing. One of them was called, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Have you guys heard of this song? You're sure you've heard of this. All right, I want you to prove it. On the count of three, I'm doing it, guys. Old school songs, we got to do it. On the count of three, middle group. Are you, are you going to be with me and start it? Okay, one, two, three. Okay, stop. Okay, you're all fired, first of all. Scream it. One, two, three. So good. Pause. Can you pick it up? I want to see you. <laughs> Jeez, ball. Uh, I want to see you. Can you, can you pick it up here again? Okay, keep going. It's good. It's beautiful. Pause. Can you guys help us? Amen. Mm. The beat's off, but I like it. It's good stuff, right? All right, that's enough, guys. Stop. It's pretty great, right? So that song's about this kind of thought that we can understand and even know, and what I'm going to get into in a moment, is that people can even say, you are the Messiah. And we can walk around believing Jesus is the Messiah, but our hearts not see at all spiritually, right? And so I'm going to pull up verses 22 through 25 and read it to you one more time. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? A couple quick things about this. Jesus, again, is considerate. So this blind man is in the midst of a community he's taken out. And before you start freaking out about the spit or thinking that that's what we're supposed to copy, that's the outlier, okay? 
what's happening here is it's kind of a common belief that spittle was, had healing power at this, in this generation. It was something everybody thought through and understood. And so really what's happening, it looks like Jesus is crazy. Look how crazy he is. He's so radical. He's, he'll do anything. Like That's what we're thinking. It's not. He's taking this man outside of where there's a crowd, and he's spitting in his hands and touching his eye because he perceives what the man needs. And he's trying to ignite his faith a little bit. Like what I'm about to do, there's more to it than just me spitting in my hands and like trying to freak you out. I'm Jesus. I'm trying to show you that I see inside of you, and I know what you need. So I'm doing it. He's being considerate. Jesus is being considerate again. So he takes him out, and he does that. So this is a metaphor for spiritual sight. Listen to this. The man is blind. Jesus takes him out. He cannot see. He spits in his eyes. He sees things that look like trees, but still can't see. Some commentaries say people are confused because it looks like Jesus failed in his miracle. He didn't fail. There's a purpose to this. So the man has to say, I don't still see. People look like trees. The man has to admit, right? I see something, but I definitely don't see it like it's supposed to be. One of my, I listened to a guy, I don't listen to many guys, but made a comment that I wish would have come from me. He said, if this man wouldn't have been honest about this question, I can't see, he would have cut down people his whole life and talked to trees his whole life. It's good. It's not mine. I wish it was. It's not mine at all, but that's so true. So there's this question in him. You can't see, right? Jesus is asking, I can't see. And that's okay. I just wish there was more of us as Christians that felt like we could be honest about that. Because we don't teach people by, if this guy walks away, I can totally see. He's literally preaching to trees if he's a preacher. He's hurting people. And there's something about the honesty of saying, I do not get this. I do not understand. I do not understand so this is a metaphor of what's happening in the lives of the disciples who up to this point have understood and saw Jesus trying to get the message to them, I am Messiah. And they've got that now, as you'll hear in a moment. But spiritual sight for you, this is hard for me, guys, with these on, I'm sorry. Spiritual sight, right? How does this apply to us when we're spiritually blind, if we're spiritually blind? The first thing is Jesus wants us to spiritually see. There's no seers anymore that we need when we have our connection with him. There's no man that has to be telling you what to do. There's this idea that Jesus wants you to know that with him you can see spiritually. And that's in the context of community as we see here people bring a blind man to Jesus when the blind man has no idea what to do. Community is the first in route for this person. I'm not saying that's the only one if you've had a crazy spiritual experience, but I'm saying in this chapter, if there's not a group of people who are willing to take a blind man to Jesus, this, this man does not see. And in his presence, we see that Jesus is the light. You can read this passage with me if you'll pull it up. Should be the next one. Getting there. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Brought to the presence of Jesus, and in the presence of Jesus, sight is given. Because Jesus is the light. He's not talking about the light. He's not going to show this is where it's coming. Jesus is the light. This person sees in the presence of Jesus. They start to see all spiritual sight 
comes in the form of Jesus, if I'm going to fight about one thing as a pastor in our theological beliefs, it will be that it is all built around Jesus. It will always all have to be built around Jesus because spiritual sight, seeing anything, will happen with him. Does that make sense? Next thing is you've got you to be able to admit, listen, are, are you confused? It's okay. It's okay to be confused if you're honest about it. It's not okay to be confused if you're lying about it. I was in ministry for eight years confused and didn't know I could just be honest. I really don't understand this. No, I get it, guys. I'm so good with this. I understand everything. No, I'm only 30 and I'm super young, but I understand a lot, right? Because I've learned everything. Like, I just wish ministry and pastors would understand that I want to follow people who can be honest about their struggles. I want to follow people who can tell me, I do not get this. We have conversations in our staff about things that might shock you, things that, might, that you actually struggle with, but you don't know you have a form to struggle with them. Because when you're honest about those and you bring them to Jesus, that's when you finally receive sight. That's when you begin to receive healing to see. And it doesn't actually happen for the disciples until they receive the Holy Spirit. They're still blind, blind as bats. And we know that by the next passage, and I'm going to read it to you. Can you pull up 27 through 30? So following this blind man's experience, spit in his face. Has anybody ever seen Ace Ventura? I just I had my kids watch this with me for the first time, and they laughed the entire time. And my wife was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> this is, like, dumb. She doesn't talk in that voice at all. She's like, I cannot watch this anymore. But you know the part where he meets the tribal leader? And he, he spits a loogie in his face. He's like, that is a great sign of affection for the Wachati community. And he says, well, let me display my affection. That's the funniest part of the movie, and he spits on everybody. And that's funny because if that happened, we would all freak out and run, right? This is what's happening here. That's what we just walked through. And now he's trying to show life application for you guys, disciples. We're going to go to this different community. This community, Caesarea Philippi, is a place where there's known that a lot of the gods have been worshipped. Baal, Pan, all of these gods were worshipped here. So he's walking into this community. He's asking the question, hey, who do people say that I am? And then they go into their con. This is what they say. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answers him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Really quickly on that, three of the disciples are from this region. And so this could have spread really quickly and become something it wasn't supposed to. But he's asking them a question. Who do people say that I am? Right? Because throughout history, people have said different things. We are connected to the Crusades. In our history, if you want to know what I feel like is the most shameful thing, that's, that's right at the top, to kill people in the name of Jesus. Because they said that this was Jesus. We have in our own lives versions of who we say Jesus. I want to read you just... Uh, this is Jordan's commentary. We share commentaries here. It's great if you ever want to borrow it from Jordan. The tendency to create Jesus in our own image is a danger still with us. Our perceptions of Jesus are inevitable, inevitably shaped by our felt needs. The wealth and prosperity gospel claims that Jesus is there to make us personally happy and financially successful. There is no pro proclivity to ignore or pass over these passages that call for a renunci renunciation of wealth or sacrifice for the kingdom. 
Those who despise others out of racial prejudice or nationalistic pride tend to pick up on the biblical passages about the judgment of the wicked, but ignore Jesus' call to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Like Peter, all of us need to hear Jesus' rebuke of our self-promoting perceptions of the Messiah and submit ourselves to the authority of his lordship. So here's the great curveball that happens in this passage, and it is the direct split of this whole gospel. Right in the middle, Jesus makes a shift, and he says to them, he goes into it in a minute and says, I am going to be killed, and I am going to suffer. Here's what you need to know about this. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there were hundreds of books written called the Apocalypses books. And basically all of these books predicted that a Messiah would come and that when the Messiah would come, he would destroy all the enemies. It would look a lot like King David because Jewish community loved their King David. So they are waiting, even these guys, on a Messiah that will come and destroy everyone, right? And so Jesus says to them, this is what's about to happen. He asked Peter first, who do do you say? You're the Christ. He answers correctly, which I think he's pretty pumped. He at least gets this. This is a good foundation. We all start with that foundation. You're the Messiah. I don't know what that looks like in this world. I don't know how to live it out yet, but I say that you're the Messiah. And then he says, well, here's what's going to happen in this Messiah. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. And Peter grabs him, takes him out from his disciples, and starts to rebuke Jesus. And it even mentions, and he notices that the others see. So it's like, Jesus, please stop saying what you're saying. Because everything I've built my hopes on for you was just destroyed by what you said. Because in my book that I'm writing, you came to do these things. And Jesus notices that the other disciples are watching this, and he re-rebukes Peter. It's like a re- like a re- something, it's like whatever you said sticks to, bounces off me and sticks to you. And he rebukes Peter and says, Satan, get behind me. A couple reasons why you need to know this. One, Jesus had gone through the wilderness that we talked about. And in the wilderness, he's tempted three times specifically by Satan in relation to power and in relation to getting things that will help him. And he looks at Satan and says, no, I will not. And he forms identity in the saying the no. He understands the voice of the Father in saying no. And now one of his own disciples, one that he loves that will eventually become the rock, looks at him and says the same things. Not only that, I think Jesus, because he is 100% human and 100% God, and if you don't struggle with that, you're lying. Because that doesn't add up. And that's okay. I believe it because I have faith in him. But I also believe as he's walking along, literally Satan is probably tempting him with those exact things that he's telling him. You don't have to do it this way. I know that if someone came and told me, you're going to die for your family, I want to do it, and my like, inner-hearted man is going to be like, I'm going to do it, but I can just tell you. That doesn't sound amazing. And if there is a way, even Jesus prayed, if there's another way, let that happen. So one of his own disciples, in the voice of a friend, comes along and says the same things that the enemy's tempting him with. And he looks at him in front of his other disciples and says, get behind me, Satan, which is hardcore. And he calls this generation adulterous, not because there's a bunch of adultery happening, but because the bride of Christ has decided they would like the world instead of, instead of Christ. An adulterous generation. Does that make sense? And the question becomes, you know who I am, but how does that look? 
And this jolts Peter to a blur, right? So at this point, Peter's just punched in the spiritual gut, and now he's like visibly like, no, everything looks like trees to me at this point because I didn't see this coming. And he has to throw himself back at the feet of Jesus and stick with him until he understands. And he does understand eventually. He becomes a rock and preaches the best sermon ever in Acts 2, which is so crazy. It might be doctored by the, the words of Luke, according to my wife. It's too beautiful for, that's too beautiful for Peter's words, which is the conversations we have. To me, it makes sense to me. Sorry to call you out. But something happens. Don't, don't, don't let me derail you right there. I'm sorry. Something happens. Before they can see, they have to know that they have to be connected to him. I love that. I want to read you a couple things. To remove the suffering and the cross of what we say is the why, why we are alive would be diabolical. It would destroy everything. To remove the cross from Jesus would be to say that we don't believe in Christianity. So to remove that cross from our own lives would be to say the same thing. So why do we serve a God who is only here to bless us with the things that we like and never challenge us? How can that be the Christ who died on the cross so that he could have resurrection, so that we could live? Please don't be fooled. We've preached and I've preached many sermons that make you feel like he just wants to give you a good big pat on the bottom and say, boy, you're a great American. And that's what it's about. And Jesus is like, there's trials coming. And then the releasing of everything, you will receive everything. Everything. Can you pull up the quote I have from Bonhoeffer? The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which everyone must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I want to read you another line from this book. This passage has enormous application for Christian leaders today. In American Christianity, the leaders with the greatest following are often those who are the most influential, persuasive, charismatic, and appealing. Service and sacrifice are not typically the path to the pastorate of a megachurch or to senior leadership of a ministry agency. I think we all understand that. Yet the goal, yet the great paradox of the Christian faith is that by serving, we lead. And by sacrificing our lives, we gain the kingdom. And Jesus will teach in the next passages and the chapters to come, true leaders are those who lift up and empower others rather than exalt themselves. This is the message of the gospel. This is what this passage is about. Do you see? Well, I know he's the Messiah. Do you see? Who am I to you? Who am I? It's not enough that your grandparents were a part of Baptist Cathedral, Marietta Square, and that your, your uncle, it's not enough that your mom and dad still pray around the dinner table. He looks at us and sits across the table from us in a great Eucharist and says, who do you say that I am? And my hope is that when you say, I think you're the Christ, the anointed one, that when he says back to you, well, here's what that looks like. In this world, it will look like you don't think that you're the best thing that ever happened and that you're not supposed to become the savior of the world. But you were here like I was here, not to be served, but to serve. 
And this is not a ploy to make you serve in River City Ministries. This is just a way to be alive. If you are at the center of your life, then he can't be. And he says if you give everything, he gives you back everything. But that doesn't look like mansion and beamers and a full bank account and everything you ever wanted and a hot job. (laughs) She's shaking her head. No. Hot jobs are good. You know what I'm saying? It's not what it looks like. It looks like the pearl of great price. Can you pull this passage up? It looks like this. It's going to be hard to get to this one, maybe. Getting there? All right. And Jesus went on with his disciples. No. Next one. Next one. Sorry, guys. Just stay with me. We're getting there. There we go. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I remember the day that we decided to plant, and if you've been here for any time, you know it. We had to, we handed over Everything, every bit of finance, every bit of reputation, stepped out of a denomination to be a part of a healthy network. And the passage that that John Wimber quote that that rings so true that the mark of spiritual maturity is being able to look at Jesus and say, I'm willing to hand over everything I've, I've gained up to this point. Every single thing. Reputation, money, all of it. Put my hand in yours, look at you and say, I am scared to death, but you're the pearl of great price and I will follow you wherever you go. That's Christianity. It's not him attaching himself to our agenda. It's not like the Jews, a savior that would come and nationally build their kingdom and destroy and smite their enemies. It's definitely not in the American government. It's definitely not that this country be the best country in the world. It's that the kingdom of God permeates the planet. And that's done by a servant savior whose power looks like a willingness to give his life up on a cross and not destroying. That is the kingdom of God that we are presented with and that we get to offer to people. That's why it says things like, if someone hits you, turn your other cheek. That's why it says things like, don't be too proud because pride comes before a fall. That's why he offers us a spot to come and dine with him where everyone's invited. So spiritual blindness here is connected to, this is how I'm telling you to do it, Jesus. And I'm going to rebuke you. And then Jesus is going to say, calm down, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) And then somehow it's going to make you fall in love with him. And he's going to give you everything when you give him everything. And it'll be your pearl of great price. And you won't care so much anymore if you have the best job. And you won't care so much anymore if you have a huge this. And you won't care so much anymore about this pressing need that's really not that pressing in comparison to the kingdom of heaven which we want in Smyrna. So, God, please let this be a challenge to them where they see you have the ability to see. The Lord has given you everything that you need. You have community around you. I'm not a dictator. I'm not here to tell you everything about your life. I'm one of you. We're all going after the true shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd of the true shepherd here to serve you. I'm no more important than that. So we get to sit before him and say, I do know who you are, but man, I don't know how this plays out in my life. 
but I'm willing to follow you until I do, which these guys do until he dies, which is confusing, right? Our King David is now dead, and so they freak out and do dumb stuff. Like, they're like Elf in the shower scene when he runs into the shower. And like, like, what do we do? Nobody knows! And then Jesus tells him to go wait, and he sends the impossible, the Spirit of God, which gives them spiritual eyes to see. And now they can see, and we're on this side of that. He wants you to have spiritual sight. He wants it more than you. So today I'm just going to challenge you a few ways. One, his first question, can you see? Can you see? If you can't, it's okay. It's okay. You can be honest. If you can't see, it's okay. The world, again, does not need a super Christian. It's impossible to follow a super Christian. We just buy really cool clothes and then buy hipster glasses, and then we think we can speak to thousands of people, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Are you serving people right now or yourself? If you can't see, just tell them, I really don't see right now. I don't see how I can do this. I don't see, I'm not seeing, I don't understand the cross. Like some of you still don't understand that part, and you just enjoy the community, and that's okay. But you got to be honest. I, I don't understand the cross, Jesus. It says you died and rose again, and that's my doorway in. And once I receive you in my heart, then I'm your son or daughter, created new in Christ Jesus, part of your family. That's baffling. I'm born again. That's gross. Like these are questions it's okay to have with him because if you have them with him, especially in the context of a caring biblical community, then the right things will surface. So can you see? Who do you say he is? Can the worship go ahead and come up? And then this is, I think, the big one right now. How does Messiah Jesus play out in your life? Let's pretend you already know he's the Messiah. I'm just thinking if you're here, pretty much everybody's like, he's, he's the Messiah or the anointed one. But how does that, how do you go from Peter who says that and then mad Peter who's like, what'd you say, Jesus? Oh, no, 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 no. Put your, put your donkey away. Go get a horse, one that's cool, like a Clydesdale. Hop on that sucker, and we're going to go back into Jerusalem. We're going to do all that we need to do. And Jesus is like, how do, you, how do you respond to when he says to you, I am Messiah, and this is what that will look like in your life? And maybe that will alleviate some of the pressure you feel to become super something. And then you can be at peace and receive what is the kingdom, which is peace, joy, and righteousness. Maybe today is that freedom step where you say, here's my all, and I'm giving you to be alive in Christ, there's nothing better. There really isn't. There is nothing better to, than to be alive in Christ. There's nothing that can compare to that. I was telling somebody today, again, my story. Drug addiction in rehab in Utah. Did every drug except for a couple because I was too scared to do those. I'm just, there's nothing. One of my favorite pastors in our area, Pastor Grant Cole, says, my, my best day away from Christ doesn't even compare to my worst day with Christ. And it's such the truth to know I don't have to prove anything to anyone that I'm his son and that I have peace. And he provides everything that I need if I can wake up and daily cast my cares upon him and daily choose the spirit over the flesh. So, Father, I just, if you guys want to close your eyes. My heart, Jesus, is that we would see communally, spiritually what you have so that we can't build our own empire or impress people that drive by 
but so that we can serve the way you want us to, to this community and our families and our kids so that we can live spiritually seeing a reality that's going to cross through all of time, which seems less like than the reality that's going to last 60, 70, 80 years of our life. Help us to see that reality today. And I'm just sensing as I pray for you that one of the things he wants you to see is that he loves you right now. He is definitely not angry with you. He just wants to be with you. He is sight. He is light. And in that place with him, you see what you couldn't see. And things are reorchestrated to his purposes. And life happens. Life is Christ. So if you would all stand to your feet with me for a moment. If you're on the prayer team, if you could come to your prayer spots. And just for the next few moments, let's just create a space for you to interact with your Savior, okay? Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. I pray that this week as we go, that we would have spiritual eyes to see the things that you see and love like you love. We thank you that you go before us and that you're with us and you promise to never leave us. We thank you for this community, which is a gift to all of us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.